Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Amy, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see all of you this morning. Um, I'm actually quite surprised to see some of you this morning. I figured more people would be vacationing this weekend, so it's really good to be together. Well, kids, I have an invitation to you as we get started this morning, something to think about. I want you to think about your household, so where you live, the people you live with, and adults, you can think about this too. Everyone's invited to think about this, but I think the kids might have special insight into this. So just bring to mind who lives with you in your house. It might be your family members. You might have people who rent a room in your house. We did that for a long time. You might have extended family or people you're not related to who live with you. And I'm curious, as you think about the people who live in your house, think about, are there some people in your house who are more in charge than others? Do some people have more authority than others? And also think about, do people do different things in your house? Do people play different roles? Do people do different chores? I'm curious, raise your hand if you do chores in your house. I like how many adult hands are raised. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and then think about what are some of the rules that you follow in your house? What are some of the ways that you are expected to treat people in your house and other people are expected to treat you? Some of those are rules rules and some of those are like rules that we follow without ever having said that it's a rule. So I want you to just think for a little while this morning about your household and if you want, while I'm preaching, I'm going to be talking a lot about households, you might want to draw your family, you might want to draw your house, you might want to write some of those rules or chores, or you might want to imagine, what if I were in charge of this house? What if I were in charge of the rules and the chores? You might want to make a list of those. And then we'll have donuts after the service, and I would love to hear what some of those rules are, who some of those people are, I'd love to see pictures of your households. It's really fun to compare the different ways each of us live when we're not all here together on Sundays. Well, today we are starting a sermon series on 1 Timothy, and this is going to carry us all the way through the fall into Advent. 1 Timothy was a book that our lectionary, which is our order of Sunday readings, gave us already for the fall, but only little snippets. And so instead, we're going to sort of hold on to it through the fall. We're going to stretch it out and read the whole book, even some of the challenging parts, some of the parts that may say, maybe I shouldn't be preaching to you right now. Um, but we're going to read this book together. We're going to dive in unafraid of what we might find there. And one of the things that we will find again and again is that 1 Timothy is really focused on the household of God. This phrase that he uses for the church, and it means people who aren't related by blood, it's not that kind of household, but people who are related because of their shared faith in Jesus. That's the metaphor that Timothy, or the book of 1 Timothy, uses to talk about the church. And the purpose of this whole letter is probably best summed up in chapter 3, which we'll get to in a few weeks, where he says, I'm writing to you so that you may know how to behave in the household of God. Now, how to behave in the household of God actually does not 
really sound like a book I want to spend a lot of time in. It sounds like a book of church rules. It does not sound terribly interesting. But actually, when this book talks about the household of God, it's talking about something bigger than just church rules. In Timothy's time and culture, the household was like the basic building block of society. People lived in these extended families. Their servants lived with them. There was a whole order to the household. There was someone who was in authority over the house. And then that was part of this broader society in the empire where the whole empire was viewed as a household. And the emperor himself was like the head of the household. And all of these little houses and this bigger household of the empire that they sort of represented, they all held the same household values. They all worshipped the gods and goddesses of the empire, and they all participated in these systems of the empire where the people who had a lot of money and a lot of authority and a lot of power were treated well, and nobody else was, where people who were poor were vulnerable, were exploited and taken advantage of and mistreated. And all of this was just normal in the households of the empire. But God, in creating the church, God was creating this counter-cultural household, this family of people who were not like the empire, who didn't serve its gods, who didn't follow those patterns of privileging the rich and powerful, and of exploiting and taking advantage of the poor and vulnerable. So learning how to behave in the household of God is about a lot more than church rules. It's about learning how to live as God's people in all the ordinary, mundane, nitty-gritty stuff of the church, but learning how to live and how to order a community so that it reflects the character of God and not the values of the empire. So that the church does not just become this pale imitation of the empire and everything around it. So it's actually something really different. And so First Timothy is going to get into a bunch of that mundane, nitty-gritty stuff, particularly the stuff of church leadership, because that dictates so much of how the church operates and is ordered. How should leaders in this household of God behave? What sort of people should they be? How should they teach? How should they handle their money and their possessions and their relationships and their authority? And all this feels really relevant to us because we're living in this time where we see the household of God often not looking that different from the society around us. We see the church so often taking its cues from political parties, from marketing strategies, from corporations or entertainers or influencers, instead of from the cruciform life of Jesus, this life of sacrificial love that he laid down as our pattern. And nearly every week we hear stories of church leaders who have failed or fallen into scandal, who have abused their authority, who have harmed their people, who have lived in ways that are counter to the teachings of Jesus. And so even though 1 Timothy feels sometimes a little bit mundane, a little bit nitty-gritty, a little bit like it's just tending to the order of this household, it's also a breath of fresh air. 
because it tells us God sees and knows and cares about all the mundane details that order the life of the church. God understands the challenge that it is to be this counter-cultural household of God, and that God has called and empowered us as his people to live by a different set of values, to embody a different reality, to live in a different story. And all the practical instructions in 1 Timothy invite us deeper and deeper into that story. So it's a book that speaks to our particular sort of cultural moment as part of the church in America in 2022. But it's also a letter that speaks to our particular personal moment as this church, as incarnation right now. Because 1 Timothy is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his mentee, Timothy. And by the time of this letter, Paul and Timothy had been ministry partners for years and years. They had been preaching and teaching and pastoring together all over the Roman Empire. They had planted churches across Asia Minor. And one of those churches was in Ephesus. It's the city that the letter to the Ephesians is named after. It's a city that's now in modern-day Turkey. And the book of Acts tells us that Paul and Timothy spent a few years together in Ephesus, ministering together, establishing a church there. But now God has called Paul somewhere else. He's called him on to Macedonia. And so Paul writes this letter to Timothy urging him to stay on and pastor the church in Ephesus. Suddenly, the letter of 1 Timothy starts to sound a lot like us. It starts to sound a bit like a rector transition in a little church plant. And for those who don't know, about four years ago, I helped plant this church with my mentor and ministry partner and friend, our previous rector, Liz. And then last year, Liz was called elsewhere, not to Macedonia, but to an epic cross-country road trip, which she's on right now, and then eventually to Botswana, and then eventually to the UK. And so with that transition in mind, last fall, our vestry called me to remain here as pastor of this church after Liz had departed. So the story that gives rise to the letter to 1 Timothy, the letter of 1 Timothy, is this story that we as a church are kind of living, where the pastor has moved on, where his mentee has stayed behind, and even though our time is very different, our circumstances are very different, I think there's a lot for us here. So let's get into it and see what God has for us in this letter. And today, since uh, it's just the very first week, we're really going to stay in the greetings part of the letter. We'll get deeper as the weeks go on. But this letter opens, as all of Paul's letters do, with an introduction, with a greeting. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my loyal child in the faith. Now, right off the bat, we can notice a few things about this greeting. First of all, that Paul introduces himself with this really official-sounding reference to his authority. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, apostles in the New Testament are people who had seen the risen Christ firsthand. 
people who had been given the um, authority and the anointing to go and preach the good news of Jesus's kingdom and his salvation by Jesus himself on his behalf. And so this office of apostle carried a lot of authority with it, a lot of legitimacy with it. And Paul is claiming that office right off the bat. He's owning that title. But then in the very next breath, Paul addresses Timothy as his loyal child in the faith. He goes from this big, lofty, official title to this intimate family relationship. And so already in just the first sentence of the letter, we see that something is different about the way authority is carried in the household of God. In this household, the authority and the office of ministry, the title, is practiced in this context of close personal relationships. Those who hold authority are not aloof and distant. They don't lord their power over people. They are right in the trenches with people. They are their companions and their friends. They are as close as family. They love them. And then Paul goes on from this introduction to do what he always does in his letters, to pronounce this blessing over Timothy. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. All of Paul's letters begin with grace and peace. Grace is the whole drumbeat of Paul's life. He never stops talking about grace. The grace of Jesus that stopped him in his tracks on the road, that knocked him blind when he was trying to kill the people that Jesus loved. The grace that forgave and redeemed and changed Paul's life. He holds out that grace. And then he always holds out peace. Peace, which is the thing that these messy, little, divided, contentious, first-century churches needed more than almost anything. The peace of Christ to heal their divisions, to bind them together, to help them go out into the world united in ministry and in worship and in love. But only in his letters to Timothy, which are First and Second Timothy, only there does Paul add a third word. He adds the word mercy. Every other letter from Paul starts off with grace and peace. But for whatever reason, when Paul writes to Timothy, when he writes to this man that he saw like a beloved son, this person who was his partner, his mentee, who he knew so well, he started his letters with an extra word, with the word mercy. And that word here is the way the New Testament translates the Hebrew word for God's loving kindness, this attribute of God's that marks all of his relationships with his people all through time, the steadfast loving kindness of the Lord. And we don't know why Paul chose to address Timothy with this extra word, with this assurance of God's mercy and his loving kindness. But now I'm no Timothy, but as someone who knows what it's like to start pastoring a church after your mentor has moved on, in the sort of wake of that transition, as someone who is in a Timothy-like spot and is able to imagine the fears and the uncertainties, all of the unknowns, 
all of the temptations and dangers and worries that might come with that, I really can't think of a more reassuring word to receive than mercy. This assurance of the mercy of God, that no matter what blunders or mistakes or missteps I make or we make as a church, God will be merciful to us. God's loving kindness will lead us and sustain us the way God's loving kindness has always led and sustained his people. So we get this blessing of grace and mercy and peace. And then with these greetings out of the way, Paul gets into business. He tells Timothy, stay in Ephesus, pastor these people, keep teaching, because there are some problems in this church. Some people in Ephesus seem to have gotten really into what Paul calls myths and genealogies and endless speculations. And the spreaders of these myths are also trying to hold themselves up as teachers of the law, as people who are authorized to teach the moral code of the Hebrew scriptures, the Jewish law. But Paul says they actually don't understand the law or who it's for. They should not be doing this. So we don't really know what constitutes this bad teaching. We don't know these myths or these genealogies or these speculations. We don't quite know how the people are misusing the law. We just know enough to know there's a lot of bad teaching swirling around the church of Ephesus. Enough that it's leading to division and confusion and what he calls meaningless chatter. But then in verse 5, Paul contrasts this with good teaching. He says, The aim of such instruction is love that comes from a pure heart and good conscience and sincere faith. Now the second half of that sentence, a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith, those phrases all describe the inward reality of followers of Jesus. They describe the transformation of the heart and the conscience and the the will and the faith that happens in each one of us when we follow Jesus. But I want to focus on the first half of the sentence. The aim of such instruction is love. The aim or the result or the end or the outcome or the goal, the aim of all Christian teaching, of all theology, of the whole church's message is love. And this should cause all of us to pause, to examine ourselves, to ask, is the aim of my message as a Christian love? And it should also help us examine different ideas, different theologies, different teachings that we find ourselves interested in or captivated by or even sort of worked up about. We can ask ourselves, Is the aim of this instruction love? Does this teaching or this idea or this controversy help me know God's love more deeply? Does this teaching help me love others more deeply? The aim of such instruction is love. It's really such a simple and profound way of articulating the church's message. I hope we all sit with it this week and let it challenge us. I hope we all let it form us into people of love. Well, we'll get deeper into bad teachings, 
lots of household instructions, all sorts of things as we get into this letter. But for this week, I want us just to sit with those opening verses and what they already show us about this countercultural household of God. Already, in just a few verses, we see that authority in this household is not just a matter of office and title, but one of relationship, of personal care. And we already see that the foundation of this household is the grace and mercy and peace of Christ. And we already see that the aim, the goal, the whole end of this household's message is love. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for this blessing of grace and mercy and peace. We pray that we would be a community that is marked by those words. And we pray for each one of us and for us as a community that the aim of our message would be love. Help us to know ourselves loved by you and help us to reach out in love. Amen.